Hello to our loyal listeners. We are so proud and excited and honored to have been nominated by the Willamette Week as the best podcast in Portland. It would mean so much to us if you could take a moment of your time to click the show notes in the episode you're listening to right now. And there's a link right there. Click on that. You can go give us a vote. We would be so appreciative. Thank you so much for your time. The following episode contains descriptions of gun violence and an active shooter event. Listener discretion is advised. 8.05 this morning in Troutdale, Oregon. Sirens blaring. Police respond to a high school's call for help. Priority call. Reynolds High School. Got a report of shots fired. Over the intercom, they said this is a real lockdown. Turn the lights off. Stay quiet. No cell phones. I was really scared. I was like, oh, like this is happening. Like, this is real. We just hid and locked all the doors. A horrific scene playing out today, the last week of school. And while we hid in there, everybody was, be quiet, there's a shooter. About one a week since Newtown. This is not a drill. There are nearly 20,000 murders annually in the United States. Perhaps it's the weather, but the Pacific Northwest has become the notorious home of serial killers and bizarre crimes. We're here to discuss those murders, to try to understand the motives, respect and remember the victims, and explore the humanity of it all. I'm Emily Rowney. And I'm Alicia Holland. And And this this is Murder in the Rain. Have you ever seen the movie The Vanishing? No. It's spectacular as Sandra Bullock before she was anything and Kiefer Sutherland and Jeff Bridges and it is Ooh, so good the you vanishing really like it. I'll check it out and also, there's a buried alive scene I'm yeah. thinking also there's a company in Germany to the surprise of no one who buries you that alive. you can go get buried that and sounds like that. an accident waiting to happen their insurance must be through the roof I would do it you're crazy that I, I think like that pressure. is the one thing that I would just crap my pants and growing up we had a hideaway couch and like I would have slumber parties on it on the weekend and like cleaning up on Sunday mornings I would always make my dad like close me into the couch that's super weird <laughs> for like as long as my mom would let me before she would yell at us like get her out of the couch I don't have anything anywhere <laughs> that, near that story is that we- I like yeah. the pressure I always had a I like the fascination clothes. with being put in a dryer but I never actually went inside of it like Whoa. at the laundromat because yeah. we didn't have a washer and dryer. I'd, I'd often think like, huh, I wonder how long I could last in there. <laughs> Today we will be talking about a school shooting, which is not the lightest topic. But this one is close to my heart as it is actually my alma mater. Do you say that about a high school? Yeah, alma mater. Okay. Lucas Paget waited anxiously in the parking lot of the grocery store less than a mile from his little brother's high school. The buses pulled up and he scanned the crowd desperately, seeking any sign of 15-year-old Jared. As the students poured out and ran into their family's arms, Lucas started to panic. Then the final bus, no Jared. On Tuesday, June 10th, 2014, I was actually working at a school in the Reynolds School District, which is located on the eastern outskirts of Portland, Oregon. Word started coming through via email and text that there had been a shooting at the high school. And as an alumni, I knew it was prone to hoaxes, but there was no way that it was true. But unfortunately, I was wrong. There had, in fact, been an active shooter, and now two were dead and a staff member was injured. 
Reynolds High School is located in Troutdale, Oregon, a suburban area less than five miles from the border of Portland. With a population spanning up north to the Columbia River to inside Portland proper, there's a mix of low-income areas to suburban cities like Fairview. Saying that Reynolds High School is diverse would really be an understatement. There are over 40 different languages that are spoken amongst its nearly 3,000-person population. I can tell you from firsthand experience, and I don't know about the size of your school. I know you went to a fairly big high school it's as well. It's pretty big. I'd say it's slightly smaller than Reynolds, but... Uh, yeah, it's like us being in a small city. It's not a place for people that have anxiety with crowds, issues with, you know, a million people being around you. And the school is divided into four different houses. And once placed in a house... Like, like Harry Potter? I don't... Sure. Did you have names? Yeah. <gasps> Such as? Um, they were the mountains. So it was Adams, Hood, St. Helens... And something else. That's cute. What's another mountain? Rainier? No, it wasn't Rainier, but one of those. And I, of course, was Hood. Now, the campus itself, is it pretty small? Ish. Um, it's They've been building, you know, as they get money. It's not tiny. There's four main hallways. And there's probably, if I remember correctly, about 10 or so classrooms down each hallway. Okay. It's got aspects of it that are a little bit labyrinthy but the layout isn't the worst ever and there's a big commons area that divides each hallway i asked just because driving by it it doesn't really look very big like my my high school looks huge it isn't that big but it yeah it's, from the road it's single huge. story and it goes further back than it you know it obviously doesn't go up some of the new parts that they've built do have multiple levels to it but the building itself is a single story. So yeah, it doesn't look like it holds mm. 3,000 people. Right, that's a lot. Once you're placed in one of those houses, that becomes your... The sorting hat, the ceremony. Yeah, I still don't fully know what you're talking about, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, though that's kind of like your mini school within the school. So that becomes your block of teachers and your peers, and that's who you're going to see for pretty much all of your time there. So you go to this one group nearly all of high school do you ever change into other no so once wow. you're in that house that's your house so you know you would have friends that and this isn't super pertinent to the story but kind of an interesting I'm just yeah no for sure where it, you had friends that you went to school with your whole life so and you may not even know school. people from other houses oh yeah absolutely not you'd be like why have i literally never seen that because they're not be like classes. oh they're in adams what about sports teams? I assume those would mix that it would up. That would all, yeah. Okay. And so even though we were massive and we had these separate things, there were still, you know, unifying activities. Right. Football games, clubs. None of that was separated by what house you were in. It just kind of helped to manage everything. So you weren't totally, I think it was probably more just for admin than anything of just managing those students and where where they went for classes. Right. That being said, you know, having all those events and having that sense of community, it was easy to feel lost or forgotten. You know, you're one out of 2,500 kids. And I even had feelings of that. And I was, if you can imagine, outgoing and participated in stuff. Yeah, I remember really you involved. telling me once high school was pretty rough for you, even oh, though yeah. you are very outgoing. You tend to make friends wherever you go. So I was surprised to hear that. But I am outgoing, which equals obnoxious, and I have like well, yeah, obviously. you know, <laughs> awkward phase for, I would say a better part. Let's say I'm how old now, so like almost thirty six years of awkward phase. So we put that in high school, and yeah, you know. So combining the size of the school and 
mixing in if you have a difficult home situation or a mental health situation it's kind of shocking that there weren't more recipes for disasters coming to fruition you and i i believe you were still in high school even though you're significantly older one year guys well i know it is the one year but i was in high school when columbine happened yes and i remember all of the the fallout from that, we started having lock-in practice, mm-hmm. and it was a very scary time to be a high schooler. Yeah, and it really changed. That was the first, you'd always kind of heard of it, but it was kind of the one-off, and this was the first, that felt like the big planned attack. Like, I, it wasn't one kid mad at one kid. I don't know how you felt about the Kip Kinkle situation which we'll probably cover at yes, some point well that will be coming but down that that was actually for me that's how it was very close to home I know yeah. people who know him and we were very similar ages and yeah for sure because he was further south as yeah. you were um yeah so that one was huge it was like whoa that's in Oregon that's here and then Columbine really was the icing on the cake of right. whoa this can be way grander scale this is scary yeah so it really kind of changed you know you're moving in these hallways of these miniature town Times square and that's kind of always running through your head and i know for me that has stayed that way even now it's kind of ingrained uh in our society of just you know with mass shooters and we kind of change how we think and oh is i'm at this big concert where's the nearest exit where's that and on that note i'm gonna call out i won't say his last name because i don't want to get sued but ryan N from Reynolds High School (laughs) was such a douche and he actually via AOL Instant Messenger and you know all the hip technology of the time (laughs) actually called in a bomb threat and I was going to ask you that because you said earlier uh, you kind of alluded to maybe some false claims or or yeah like people kind of said stuff here and then or you know you had the kids that wore the trench coats and that was what was fed to us of like, that's going to be the kit, which obviously is nonsense. But this kid, Ryan, uh, he calls the bomb threat. So school's canceled. And everyone's like, yay. Nice. And Hero. he kind of, right. I think he <laughs> thought that that was what he was going to get. He was going to get prom king after yeah, that. Yeah. And instead, everyone was like, we literally all know you did it. Like you emailed yourself this bomb threat and then sent it out to everyone in the school. He forwarded it like yeah, an accidental reply all. Yeah. And then we all got the, these messages of like, guys, did you see this? And so we were like, oh, Ryan's going to get arrested, but he probably deserves it. And this kid, so the gates, you know, the parking lot gates to the school, they ended up being closed that next day. And he spent the whole day standing at those gates waiting for all the different news cameras to come and do interviews to be like, yeah, it's so scary. And yeah, I got the email. And, and we're all just like, Narcissist. arrest him. Arrest him right now. Everyone hates this guy. At and least find ever, him, you know? Right. And nothing ever came from it. We were wow. all really bummed about that. That has nothing Nowadays, to do with this, but I just needed that out there because we note, all knew it was him. Chloe's friend accidentally pulled the fire alarm at grade school and they had <laughs> oh, no. the fire people they came to the school and everything she got in a little bit of trouble it was an accident though somebody had tripped and hit her and she went to grab the wall and pulled it and i like i wish i had witnessed do you know how hard those are i mean you have to i don't Mm. know says says my 10 year old hard to believe anyway back to reynolds high in just the last few months it's gone over some major reconstruction the entire front is different the office has been moved over but at the time of the shooting and when i was there it was 
that there's a gym building that has the gym and locker room and all that stuff. And then there's an outside walkway that connects you to the main building with the offices and all the classrooms and all of that. To the other side of that is um, a new art, newer art building. And that's where they moved a bunch of classrooms as well. Talk to me about security. Do you, does Reynolds have like an on-site security officer yeah, and like so we metal detectors? Had, we, we never had metal detectors, but we always had a team of security, usually around four people, I think, including Mama Lisa, who was my favorite. So they were always there. And then after I was out of there and when it kind of became the norm, they had a constant um, campus security guard or okay. campus, I'm sorry, resource officer. Resource Yeah, that's right. That's what they're Yeah, called. so one police officer and then the regular team of security, which just wander the halls, make sure kids are where they're supposed to be, gotcha. kind of the first line of defense. Tuesday, June 10th, 2014 was not an average Tuesday. This was actually the last day of school for a lot of the kids. And in talking to Alyssa, she explained that it was sort of a day of finals. And if you didn't have other classes, it was your last day. And if you did, it wasn't. So my favorite week. Yeah. So it was a little bit muddled, but seniors were already done. So you only had the lower classmen. And then they were in equivalent to a finals test for those days. 15-year-old freshman and junior ROTC member Jared Paget walked into the entrance on the side specifically for the gym building. He was wearing a guitar case on his back and carrying a military duffel bag. He went straight into the boys' locker room where he began to unload his arsenal. In the police report, an acquaintance slash friend, I couldn't really figure out the depth of their relationship, um, but he said he saw... Jared walking towards the gym that morning. It was the start of the school day. And he hollered out yelling, you know, hello and waving at him. And Jared uncharacteristically totally ignored him and continued walking. And the friend stated that while this exchange was happening, they were like 10 feet away and then five feet away. Like he was walking towards him and still he got nothing. So that really kind of put him on alert. And he then noticed the guitar case that he knew from looking that it obviously was not a guitar because of how whatever was in there was shaped and the weight dispersion and all of that. Once in the locker room, Jared removed an AR-15 from that guitar case before he started to unload the hundreds of rounds, a handgun, and a knife, which were in the duffel bag. The exact amount of time spent in the locker room getting prepared isn't known, but given the window of time that everything happened, it was only literally a couple minutes. As he continued unloading, he then put on an anti-ballistic vest and a camouflage helmet, clearly having plans for this to be a pretty major event. The youngest of five kids, Jared grew up with his Mormon family with a strong background of military service in the Portland area. Jared was known to be really quiet and serious, but well-mannered, and always one to volunteer if needed and always helping people out. His perfectionistic and OCD ways were pretty well known to anyone that interacted with him, even if it was a casual conversation. You had to be careful with what you said or did around him, as he had no tolerance for mistakes or disrespect. So a really fun guy to have around. It's hard to find anyone that says they were really close with him. I couldn't really find, you know, he was my best friend or anything like that. And this is absolutely not the old trope of he was a lone wolf. He had no friends. He liked guns. He played first person shooter video games. 
he was all of those things. But I will absolutely not put blame on video games or pop culture because plenty of people like you and I, we like those things and we don't act in this way. Jared was known by friends to have more than a fascination, perhaps more of an obsession with guns. People that knew him say that he would be most engaged in conversation when it was about firearms or his military service that he was looking forward to in the future or hunting. And I call those red flags because if you're having a hard time engaging in conversation with someone unless it's about killing things, maybe you should have a more important conversation with him about why he had such a fixation. On that topic, I found multiple interviews with people, including the bishop from the church that would come and do family check-ins once a week. And he would say, you know, conversations that should have been casual, like, how's the weather? How's school going? Basic things. And it always came back around to guns and his extensive knowledge of them. So moving forward in our story today, I'll be referencing Jared as the shooter. Right around 8 a.m. on that Tuesday morning, 14-year-old freshman Emilio Hoffman, having a first-period gym class, walked into the boys' locker room. This was the fateful mistake that cost Emilio his life. According to authorities, Emilio turned the corner to the locker room and caught the shooter off guard. This was either while he was still setting up or that he was about to leave the locker room and begin his massacre. It's thought that the shooter panicked at the surprise of Emilio walking in and he fired. He shot Emilio twice in the chest, killing him. Located in the nearby coach offices, PE teacher, coach, and one of my personal favorite staff at Reynolds, Todd Rispler, heard the gunfire. He did what most people wouldn't, and he ran towards it. A lot of people at first thought it was just fireworks as part of a senior prank, and so they didn't really think anything of it at first. Oh, yeah. Senior pranks. Those are fun. Right. And it made sense being the last day. Like, right. Oh, yeah, there'd be fireworks. And they said, um, oh, you know, Caden terrible. said that he kind of smelled something and you could tell that it was like smoke or um, gunpowder, that kind of thing. And so it kind of was, what is it? But they went with what they, right. what made the most sense. So this is around 8.05 a.m. And Todd Rispler runs into the boys' locker room where he, too, is met with gunfire. The shooter mm-hmm. took aim and fired, grazing Rispler's hip. In an incredibly heroic move, he ran from the gym to the administrative offices to initiate the lockdown procedures and to call 911, while the other staff in the gym started moving students towards the back corner until authorities arrived. School resource officer Kai Harris heard the call come over his radio, and he left the main building to get over to the gym and respond to the call. He ran into the gym where he reported the smell of gunfire and found spent casings on the ground. Within two minutes of the initial call that Rispler made, police were on the scene and SWAT was en route. The school was on lockdown. They made a call over the intercom and the students were starting to get pretty frantic and scared, not knowing what was going on. I imagine so. Word starts to get out. So this is in 2014. We've got cell phones everywhere, and now people are texting, people are calling. There's a shooter. Who's okay? Everyone's kind of checking in with everyone. And that um, Mr. Rispler was shot. And I would call him Todd. Like, he's even been to my family's house for, like, parties. But it feels really weird because he's Rispler. So I remember when, so when I'm working at the school I was at at the time, 
not only getting the call, you know, we had a student whose sister was at Reynolds High School. And so we were trying to help him manage his emotions about that because we still hadn't heard about her. We just heard there was a shooting. So is that typical that if there are kids at other schools and this information is going out that the the staff would maybe pull them aside to make them aware or is that more of something the police should be doing yeah it was interesting mostly because we had a really cuckoo crazy principal and she kind of went out of her way to pull him out and say that and we were like it's a little weird he has emotional management issues already why are we adding to that right but there was also a buzz because um even though it wasn't a, a typical school it was still Reynolds staff and, and I feel like even as much as emails and phone calls, and as stuff. much as you prepare, prepare for these types of things as a, a staff member mm-hmm. in schools in general, I think you don't know how you're going to react no. anyway. So she was probably just hyped up. And yeah, well, and the parents were obviously in their own state of panic. Right. And that might have had some whether the parents, I don't know if they oh, maybe called they to asked say, her to, can yeah. you tell him mm-hmm. or make sure you tell him so that he doesn't overhear staff talking about That's it. That's a you good know. point. So we, you know, we're trying to manage him. We're all going, oh my gosh, what's going on at the high school? And then it came through that uh, Mr. Rispler was shot. And that was like a punch to the gut because it wasn't, you know, he's shot and it's just a graze and he's going to go home and be fine. It was just that he was shot. Pictured dead. Yeah. You picture worst case scenario. Absolutely. Todd Rispler actually went to Reynolds High School. And when he was there, he was a star athlete and has always been known by basically every student that's ever had him that he was kind and helpful and one of their favorites granted he and I had differences of opinion because he was a PE teacher which meant he would like tell me to run and work out and I had problems with that but as a person he was really great so at the end of the day he did actually in fact make it back home Um, I don't know if he got stitches or what all was needed for the gunshot but he was home and he was fine and he actually ended up trending on Twitter with all the students, you know, thanking him and acknowledging how heroic he was and how much they cared about him. And he's really been acknowledged as a hero since that. I even reached out to him just saying, hey, if you want to talk at all about that day. And he really kind of hasn't ever because he's not willing to accept the hero label. He just did what he did what he assumed any teacher would do. Exactly. He's, you know, my kids are in danger. I'm going to take care of it. And he did, but he's a hero, so he'll have to deal with that. <laughs> Police and SWAT then arrive and secure the scene. Police enter the gym, and that's when they came upon the shooter in a hallway, kind of a hallway mixed with a lobby area leading back to common, the... Like a common Yeah, room? sort of. You know, it's like the locker rooms would be a little bit, you know, it wasn't just like the doors to the locker rooms so that you don't see people changing. So a little oh, bit of a hallway situation, you know. So they come upon him in that area. So he's coming out and they engage in exchanging of gunfire. The shooter then turns and runs back into the boys locker room, goes into a bathroom stall. He then takes his own life via a self-inflicted gunshot. Following him in, officers then find the body of Emilio Hoffman. With the school still in lockdown, but the shooter down, the evacuation process begins This is when hundreds upon hundreds of students start the all-too-familiar walk in the single-file line, out the doors, hands on their head, leaving their all their belongings, you know, their pictures and footage of just piles of backpacks where everyone just left everything. Then they walked across the street. There's a Mormon church that 
has always collaborated with the school. They all went there first to get, they were patted down and interviewed, and then they were put on buses and taken down the street to the grocery store where the families were waiting to meet them. And that grocery store is where Lucas stood waiting for his brother. When Lucas didn't find his brother, he rushed home, and starting in the bedroom that they shared, he began looking for his personal weapons. It was then he realized his Army Reserve's duffel bag and gun were in fact missing. Police then arrived at the home to inform the family of the events that had transpired, and they began a search. It was at that time they learned that there were five other firearms in the home, ammunition, knives, and a sword. Because, you know, you, every home should have oh, teenage boys. <laughs> Classic teenage boys. I'm sorry. With yes. their swords. This is not, again, this is not to say if you're a family that has weapons, you're going to create a monster and it makes kids do these things. Not at all. But this was, in fact, a military family. They had a lot of weapons in the home and clearly someone that had mental health issues. And they kind of had pretty easy access to said weapons. When the police even asked about, you know, how did he get the guns, the family stated they had been locked up. But the safety systems had, quote, been defeated. They never really clarified, you know, was it a a closed cabinet or were there locks? Either way, they were defeated. Police also found a personal journal and in it there were writings that rallied against, quote, sinners, smokers, and those that say the Lord's name in vain. And as far as... The shooter's motive, that's pretty much it. Because it was fairly clearly an open and shut case, and he was dead, they didn't really expand on that. And that was as far as it went for motive, was just these people that he felt angry about. I recently sat down with Alyssa Carm who was Emilio's girlfriend at the time of the shooting. She graciously spoke to me at length about her experience, not only with Emilio as a person, but the day of the shooting. I also spoke to her current boyfriend, Caden, who was in the gymnasium on the day of the shooting. The following interview contains a ton of background noise because we recorded it at a Starbucks in the middle of the day. Listener discretion is advised. Well, thank you so much for meeting with us today. I know that it's not the easiest subject to talk about, but I really appreciate it. And our show, we're really working on acknowledging victims and ramifications of crimes and violence. And, you know, I can read about Emilio on paper, but it doesn't really paint a picture of a person. So um, very appreciative of you meeting. I just have a, a few questions written out, and anything that you want to say, this is your platform to say it. If you're uncomfortable with anything or don't want to answer, not a problem, just let me know, and okay. we'll move on from there. So, can you tell me a little bit about kind of like how long you knew Emilio, and what your relationship was like, or how it came to be? Yeah, so um, I met Emilio when I was in seventh grade. I was uh, 13 years old, and he was one of the new kids. Um, I went to Walmart just over oh, here, yeah. and um, there was a bunch of new kids from the school, Arthur Academy, that came that didn't start sixth grade with us, but were seventh graders with us. And you know, right away, I 
didn't really get to know him seventh grade. I we just ran into each other every once in a while, and like there was one time where he messaged me and he was like, "Hey, you're pretty cute," and just like stupid <laughs> right. seventh grade things. But our friendship didn't really start until um, like eighth grade. Um, when we started to have more classes together and um, we had the class drama together which is when you do a bunch of skits and stuff with people and you talk you get to talk a lot in that class like the teacher was really chill so he was really nice and um, yeah it's very different than a classic classroom sketch yes, setting yeah yeah much so, more involved with each other. so that's where we became pretty good friends and you know him and I of course I had a crush on him because <laughs> Amelia was just that type that was really charismatic and you know just Especially with the girls, he was a ladies fan. I mean, that's usually what people would say about him because he just, he was 13 years old, but he knew how to talk to girls, like, which was really rare, like, for that age. So, yeah, um, so around eighth grade, him and I have formed, like, kind of a flirty relationship, and um, him and I would talk to each other, oh, you're so cute, you know, and um, he was actually my valentine for my eighth grade year, oh, and um, he gave me a teddy bear, I still have the teddy bear and stuff, it was, it was like one of my first memories, and I remember my mom was like, who is this, like, you know, <laughs> where did this come from? Yeah, but things fell out throughout eighth grade and onto um, freshman year, and freshman years when him and I, um, we had art class together and um, for the first half of school he had that class with me and then he dropped out, he didn't drop out of school but he went to online school because a situation that happened. After he came back I remember, because we still had kept that friendship and like he was still somebody important to me like but it was just like drama with like being a freshman and stuff like him and I liked each other we went back and forth about stuff but he was always somebody that was special to me like he always I always had a place in my heart for him and I remember just going back and forth from being friends to talking because there's just complications with that but um, when he left the school for a while I didn't talk to him and then the first day he came back from um, not being at the school I remember seeing him it was early in the morning I was like oh no there's Emilio and I remember just feeling like my heart beating so fast because I was like he was just somebody important to me he's just one of those people one of those faces where you, you just recognize them right away so after that we didn't have the art class together anymore his schedule got switched up because he left and but um, he kept texting me and was like Alyssa I want another chance you know I told my friends don't let me get back with him you know that's what he's nothing but thing. trouble yeah yeah stuff like that I mean just because just because we didn't work out a bunch of times and I'm not somebody that if it doesn't work out then it doesn't work out but I let Emilio in and it's honestly one of the best decisions I ever made in my life because I got to experience all my first things, first boyfriend, first kiss with him and he wasn't like other guys, you know, he was really different, like he made everybody in his life feel special. Any person you talk to, they have a memory with Emilio where he lifted them up or made them feel better and I know that's what a lot of people try to say when somebody they love passes away. Yeah. but. It's the truth with yeah. him. You know? Yeah, it's definitely easy to kind of um, glamorize almost, you know. And yeah, only put the them on a pedestal. Part, but, um, you know, like I said, in reading things, that's really everything I found was that he was 
kind, he was thoughtful, he was a friend to everyone, he yeah. helped little kids play soccer. Yes. Um, from that, what what is your, what do you want him to be remembered for? What do you think he would be most remembered for? I just want him to be remembered as somebody that lifts the mood for people and just brightens the room. Like, anytime there was any frustration in the room or like just tension he was always the one to break that with his humor and with his smile like he was always making people laugh and just feel good about themselves like he never wanted to see anybody in a bad mood if you're comfortable talking about june 10th your experience of that day or yeah. any part of it that you want to share Emilio and I had just hung out the night before, um, on the 9th, and we had a really good night. We were doing homework together, we were eating pizza with his family. It was like me like breaking through to his family and like getting really close, who I'm still close with. But um, I left my charger at his house that night, and I couldn't charge my phone without it. And so, in the, here's your charger, he would always greet me. Um, before my classes, like, you know, high school, you guys meet up yeah. between classes. Mm -hmm. First period, he was always there, even though his class was, our schedule was compromised that day, so we were doing finals, and um, we had our seventh period review. In seventh period, he had gym, and he met me at my locker, which was so far away from the gym, and he made sure I got my charger. He gave me a kiss and said, goodbye, I'll see you after. And that was the last time I saw him, was when he kissed me and said, I'll see you later. Um, what transpired on your end? You know, were you, you know, you're saying you're far away. I'm thinking like W Hall situation. That, and, yeah, that's where okay. my locker was. Yeah. Okay. And so um, having gone there, just how massive it is, like a small city yeah. going to Reynolds. Um, did you have any awareness that that was even happening? Or how did that yeah, news so, get to you? I'm actually really thankful for where I was in the school. I was all the way in the arts building. Oh, okay. And I would say we I had the least communication out of any like like class, honestly, because um, we had a substitute, so we didn't have a teacher that was connected oh, to other teachers. Right. All I remember was me and my friends were walking to the arts building and there's people running and like, they didn't seem serious. They were just like running and we're like, what is going on? They're like, oh, there's like fireworks or something over in the gym and you know, somebody's just doing a senior prank or something. So were they running away from the building or? They're running into the arts the building. Oh, running to the arts building. Yeah, and like nobody was like panicked. Like it was just kind of like, okay. Me and my friends sat in the art building in the art classroom and you know we were on Twitter seeing what was happening people were saying there's a shooting and you know we were just like what the heck mm -hmm. and like even before that there was news that there was a shooting we were just like not knowing what was going on we knew the school was in lockdown and we weren't really getting any other information besides that we didn't really honestly we didn't take it serious and I really wish we did but it's kind of a blessing and a curse because I didn't know what was going on but at the same time, like, it's probably better I didn't know what was going right. on. Um, so I was texting Emilio and I wasn't getting a response, but I was trying to be as reasonable as possible. I told myself, he doesn't have his phone because he's in PE. He put his phone in his locker, he's fine. Like, right. he's with the other kids. And um, I 
We were the last students to be evacuated out of the building among like other classrooms, but we were the last to be put onto, because they had us go from our class with our hands up, it was frightening, and like we had to go walk across the street to the church and get patted down and get interviewed by these police people, and we were like, what the heck is going on? And I hadn't heard anything from Emilio yet. And I even messaged his mom on Facebook. I'm like, have you heard from Emilio? Because, I mean, he probably doesn't remember my number. Like, he doesn't memorize it. I was thinking right. maybe he texts his mom. And at that point, you're thinking, you know, if everyone else around me is saying they've worked their way through the building and we're the last ones, at this point, yeah. he should be out yeah. potentially having his things and be able to get a hold yeah. of Yes, so I was searching around for him. There was already students that had gone buses and gone down to the Fred Meyer. and. You know, I I honestly thought that he was on a bus and I was holding on to this. I even saw his mom and I was like, have you heard from Amelia? She said, no, but I'll let you know if I hear anything. And she was one of those parents that was there. Like she was at the church waiting for her son. She was, she, she was there for him. So you end up down at Fred Meyer. Yes, and I and that's reunite. Unloading all the buses yes. and all the students. I reunite with my parents. You know, I just want to get out of there. My parents take me home, like, and um, I get home, and I get a message from his ex that says, "Message me right now." And I'm like, "What the heck? Like, what is going on?" So I messaged her and I said, what's going on? And she says, hey, sweetie, I'm sorry, but it was him. Amelia was the one that got killed. Eventually, like after just crying and crying for hours, because I honestly thought, like, there's no way. I was thinking, the, the odds are so slim. You have a huge student population huge school, yeah. and a huge building and of all the places, yeah. Yes, but... We get the call, confirmation, my dad answers, and you can just see his heart break. And they they confirmed it, it was Emilio, and it was, I uncontrollable tears were coming out. And my family was all hugging me, and it was honestly one of the most like overwhelming moments of my life, because I'm just crying, 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 and like not being able to control it. Um, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Yeah. I, Again, it's different to read about something than to hear firsthand, you know, from someone that experienced it. So you were saying you're still close to Emilio's family, the Hoffman family. Yeah. And I know Jennifer's really involved in, um, they created Emilio Inc. Yes. And as a local Troutdalian, you know, I've seen plenty of cars with, you know, the, um, the Emilio de decal and the red converse. What was the significance of the red converse? Emilio's thing ever since middle school was wearing Converse. He, that was like his signature thing. He always had a pair of Converse on and um, his favorite color happened to be red. Okay. His mom knew this and used this as the symbol for Emilio because um, when they're planning the funeral and everything, we announced to everybody, wear red Converse. Yeah, I saw some of those pictures. Because um, his mom didn't want to have a sad black funeral. She wanted people to wear whatever they wanted. We wanted to make it a celebration of Emilio. And so that's what the red converse, converse are. It's like a celebration, a reminder of Emilio. And I should have worn them, but I have a pair of um, red Converse that my brother got custom made for me that says Emilio 29 on them. So they're a big symbol in 
um, our lives now because of that and making that the symbol of Emilio Ink is just like a reminder of who he was and yeah. it definitely does add a an element of like playfulness and youth and, yeah you know it's a serious serious subject but then it also doesn't allow for it to be yeah. too serious and, and you can still yeah. find the enjoyment in it as far as you know and what you can speak on with Emilio Hank what do you see its purpose being I used to be really active in Emilio Inc. when it first was um, coming up, but between school and work, it's almost impossible Absolutely, to make yeah. it to the events. But um, it's like a community outreach. She right away, Jennifer's honestly amazing. She instead of using her grief to just wallow and be in her in isolation and not be involved, she created this. Um, Nonprofit organization to reach out to the community and give back to the people that gave to her when she was in her um, when she needed it, and um, they, they just do a lot of things with like interacting with the community and especially with teenagers. Like, there's a lot of love rock making. Have you heard of the love rocks? Yeah, with yeah, the hearts. Do you want to speak on that for a minute? Yeah, yeah. So it's just something like she'll get people together and just like do simple activities such as like gluing on hearts onto the rocks and stuff and um, what this does is we like to spread it around like communities that need it like when there's a shooting at a community college uh, I, sorry I, I struggle on the name like Umqua or oh uh-huh yeah yeah, yeah. Um, we made love rocks for that and just spreading it around the campus and like just it's just like a little reminder that like you're still loved and stuff because it's like how cool is it if you're just walking, you see a rock, and there's a heart on it? Oh, you're I've like, actually Whoa. found yeah. a few throughout graduate yeah, yeah. stuff, and it does just brighten your day, even if yeah. you're not going through a crisis of just, you know, someone took this time to make this thing that brings joy. Yeah. My friends and I actually went out, and um, we put out the love rocks spelling the word hope for the new students to come and um, be welcome to that, and it actually stayed for a really long time. People would just take pictures and say, the Hope Rocks are still here. Honestly, that's kind of the message, because like even, it's been four years since the shooting, you can still go around and see reminders of love and not reminders of what happened and stuff. So I think Emilio Inc., that's their goal, is to turn this tragedy into something where you celebrate the person's life, the opposite of just, uh, grieving about them. Yeah, and that sounds like what he, if it, you know, if the shoe was on the other foot, that he would be involved in that, being such yes. an optimistic, positive energy, um, that he definitely would be appreciating that, because yeah. that's who he was as a person. Yeah. Do you feel, you know, having experienced all this firsthand, for people that are out there and they haven't experienced that, to the closeness, you know, as close as you have, um, what kind of involvement, you know, for people that are frustrated by whether it's mental health care or guns or school violence, things of that nature, what do you say to anyone that feels kind of, not hopeless per se, but just not sure where to channel that energy to try to make a difference? I mean, the first step to dealing with things like that is to accept things how they are and work together as a community to deal with stuff like that. And that is the message of Emilio Inc. is that together you can do things. And it's always, 
I think a lot of people try to avoid things in their life and like just not face things face forward but the if you want to get over things and you know improve as a person you need to go face forward towards those things and don't let stuff like what's happening in our world to hold you back. A quote that we keep sacred in our hearts for Emilio, something he posted on his Twitter and his we like always write it out. We have it like Jennifer has it in her house on the door um, and on the walls is keep going and don't look back. It's just something that you never think would happen or you don't imagine that it could happen to you or and until it actually happened at our school, it's so unimaginable and like you don't even think about it until it actually happens to you that it's like a real thing people experience and have to go through. So. Yeah. You, you see it today on the news. You see it all the time, the school shootings and stuff. And you, we always sit back and we're like, I can't believe that happened to us. And somebody close to me at that, like you, the odds are just, well now they're higher, but like at the time, it's just, it's just crazy that that actually happened. Like we sit back and we're like, that happened to us. So being in that, you know, having experienced something that was so astronomically impossible seeming at the time, how has that shaped, um, you know, moving forward as far as just, do you feel like you're more hypervigilant when you go places because you know it's possible? Has, you know, has it kept you from doing certain things because, you know, now you know, like, oh, you can't say that about the odds because... Yeah, when we're at the mall the other day, we were just shopping in the store looking around, you know, it was really lighthearted, and then all of a sudden we hear this huge like crash bang noise long really loud noise and we stopped and we looked at each other and we're like what was that and i i don't like to like dwell on stuff like that i'm just like i'm just gonna ignore it but he had a, yeah he yeah maybe yeah maybe you should talk about that so we had all gathered up in the gym and we're just waiting for class to start and then um we re I remember hearing bangs and like you could almost smell like like, like gun smoke or gunpowder and we had thought it was fireworks and because it happened out in the lobby like the first loud noise and we didn't know what it was and a couple of students went out and checked and we kind of just like stood around waiting for everything to happen and it was so loud and being at the mall when I heard um, the bang instantly like brought me back to the feeling of like my heart just dropped and I instantly was like, it was the first panic attack I've had since the shooting and I like thought that, I was like, oh my gosh, it's gonna happen again or something. Right. Yeah, I mean, obvious PTSD, yeah. without a doubt. And it, she was there luckily, but I was like really like hyperventilating and struggling to like catch my breath. Wow. So. And I've never seen him do that before. Yeah. I, was, I thought he was joking at first, but. It was. I. It honestly breaks my heart that things are like this. Right. Any any place I go, I try to face towards an exit or something so that I have a good escape plan if something does happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, it affects me at restaurants. You you can ask him like firsthand. If I'm at a restaurant and it's super crazy busy, I I can't focus. Like I am always watching people around me. If anybody like makes a loud noise or something, 
at movie theaters, if it's a packed movie theater, I get so freaked out, especially if I have to sit next to somebody I don't know. Like, it's just this integrated anxiety now since this all happened. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I really can't even fathom because, you know, when I was in school, it was Columbine. Yeah. And that was far away. Yeah. But that was kind of the first part. And with our society, you know, with this kind of being a norm, unfortunately, my friends and I always talk about that, of being yeah. in a movie theater, being like, oh, yeah. you know, you don't even think about it, it's just kind of a natural thing, so I can't imagine for you guys. Did you want to speak any further about your experience? You're welcome to. If not, I totally understand. Um, of just, because again, I write, you know, with Mr. Rissler, which even though I'm family friends with him it still feels weird to call him Todd yeah <laughs> um you know of just how since you were in the art building and you were last and you were like in that building how did that um, transpire I remember well I'll just walk through my day I uh got there late that day and I didn't have my phone with me so I didn't really know where everyone was and I got there and everyone was meeting up in the gym so we all gathered around in the gym talking like it was a normal class day and I think the first bell to get to class went off and everyone kind of started like getting ready to, we didn't know what we were going to be reviewing because it was just a PE class, so we were just waiting around. I think we were going to get our lockers and empty them out, so um, we were just waiting for teachers and then there were the first set of bangs and we didn't know we thought it was fireworks so I remember um, I had a few friends that went out into the lobby and just to check and we all kind of just kept talking and not thinking it was a shooter because we all would have panicked but we just stood around kind of wondering what it was and it happened again and it was much louder this time and it was like echoing banging and we all kind of like the whole gym just kind of like shifted to the back half of it not knowing like what that was because it was so loud and they once they made the announcement over the intercom there's a active shooter we all um instantly went into the very back it was like a storage closet room okay, so back by, over by the weight room by the weight room okay. that back hall that was there yeah. um and we because at that point you're hearing the lockdown active shooter and you're realizing yeah, that's, that's what that sound in the lobby. We heard gunshots. Wow. Like so, um, yeah, we barricaded the doors with what we had back there. And I remember I texted my mom because I didn't have my phone. I texted her, "I'm okay. I'm with the group students in the back." And then eventually we heard the police come. We could hear people running along the um, police running along the back door of like that room and then uh police finally knocked on our door saying uh we're gonna take you guys all out and we made them like slide the badge under the door because yeah. we didn't know if it was actual police or and then um Wait, I we, did not know that. yeah we were the first group to walk out and i just remember like the, so we walked through the whole gym out the front lobby where um it kind of had happened and I just remember seeing like cops just with ARs and we were all just walking out with our hands up and just shocked about like what to do, what was happening and then we got to the, um, and it was it was a lot of my friends because it was the seventh period um, PE class that I had most of my friends with and we got to the church parking lot and I remember one of my friend's mom was a cop and she was like there with like talking just kind of about what happened. I remember we were getting patted down and 
Um, and then, I don't know if you remember, but there was another, I don't know, student or not student. Um, someone walked there to like, once they heard about the shooting that, and they had a gun with them. And I remember when they were patting that guy down, they found a gun on him and we instantly were like freaking out, didn't know what that was. Right. So, and there were so many different rumors about like multiple shooters. We didn't know what the actual case was and it was an extremely long process, but thinking back, it just all happened so fast and there was so much going on. I was actually going to ask you about that, you know, from shots, you know, so the first shots go and then the second set of shots and then within two minutes the police are there. Did that feel like it was two minutes? Did it feel like it was hours? It, it you felt, know, when you're waiting till that badge comes It felt forever, but like, honestly, I can't even recall the time or how long it took. It was just such a like traumatic moment that everything was just happening yeah. and you couldn't even think. I got on, I had a sister that went to the school and I met up with her in that parking lot and then we got on the first bus and were bused down to the Fred Myers where my parents were. And That's intense. When yeah. did you find out it was Emilio? I think I was, I had stuck around in the parking lot until like the last bus came. And it was somewhere around then, I think we heard it, we went into Buffalo or something and it was already on the news there, like Reynolds shooting, all this was happening and um, they had said there that it was Emilio and I had played soccer with Emilio for um, a year on a like private team with him and I had known him and I was just shocked, it was so crazy to me, I didn't even know what to think. Wow. That's really unfortunate that both of you guys at yeah. such a young age not only had to experience that, but you both received really traumatic news in such cold yeah. and potentially misinformative ways. So I'm really sorry to hear that that's how it all went down. I really appreciate you yep. sharing your aspect. Like, that was very powerful to just hear firsthand how both of you, you know, in such a close proximity. Granted, it's a huge building, but, yeah. you know, such different experiences, but also so intertwined. So thank you so much for really just, you know, I know with a lot of, you know, shows like this, it's like, let's glamorize. And, and yeah, it's like, we really just want to hear, you know, about Yeah, people. that's what I was thinking at first. And if first contact me I'm like this better not be anything oh, right like oh I want to hear all yeah, about the yeah. gruesome detail like yeah. absolutely not so um but I know this is really hard for both of you guys so just a lot of self-care today of just listening to what you're needing and yeah. taking it easy because that's a really difficult thing to revisit so I appreciate you letting yourselves kind of go there and let people hear about that and yep. about your experience and Emilio and all of that so Awesome. The community was really touched by the loss of such a promising and kind young man. Even the Portland Timbers had a special ceremony to honor Emilio at one of their games. While his family continues to grieve his loss, they aren't standing idly by for someone else to make the differences that they want to see take place. Jennifer Hoffman, Emilio's mom, continues to run EmilioInc.org, putting together the special events that benefit Youth Council. I'm glad that this one didn't go further. We see a lot larger shootings, multiple victims, so that's great. But 
I'm always a little bit saddened when the shooter takes their own life because these are kids. Mm -hmm. These are kids who have severe mental problems Mm -hmm. that likely could be managed and that they could, you know, not necessarily do something with their life because they're going to go to jail, but get healthier and have some perspective and apologize to the family. So it is pretty sad in that sense. And of course, Emilio was lost as well. And that's that's a really sad thing to hear with such an amazing person. And I think, too, the other aspect of that that I always feel sympathetic towards is the family of the shooter. Yeah. You know, they don't get to publicly grieve. They're, um, someone actually created a GoFundMe, and they raised quite a bit of my, I think, $7,000 for funeral costs and everything. And it is so unfortunate that one person's decisions, you know, it you don't know what transpires, and you can't put everything on oh it was their home life oh the parents did or didn't do something usually yeah and Mm -hmm. sometimes it's none of that and so to have this family they also lost a child yep and they don't get to have support and they don't get to have and i'm sure they're blamed oh absolutely And, and you just say oh you know you have to hide your grief and you have to be in the shadows yeah. and they also suffered a major loss and i i always hate that that's an aspect of this. The other thing that struck me while you were telling the story is the brother because he shared a room with him. And I have to imagine there's a lot of guilt there, not seeing red flags and wondering what you could have done to try to find this out sooner. So that that's also another sad aspect is somebody else is taking this into the rest of their life. Absolutely. In that sense. Yeah. Survivor's guilt in a way. So I did look up some some stats on yeah. violence. I know we're all very much aware that this is a rampant problem in the U.S., but just to put this in perspective, since 1970, there have been 1,300 school shootings. 2018 had the highest number of school shootings in any year, wow. and there were a total of 94 gun violence incidents. In schools. In schools, specifically schools. Wow. 55 people including the shooters, were killed in school gun violence in 2018. So that's more than a person a week, and that's about two shootings a week. Yeah. We all know the U.S. has weak gun laws compared to other countries. Other developed countries typically have one or more background checks, specific training courses, and rules about locking your firearms, and they have an arduous licensing. Um, you are basically every year renewing these licenses. In the U.S., it's not even mandatory that you have a background check. Well, we did just have the vote go through. That's true. Hopefully we see some what improvement. What was that? H.R. 8, I believe. And I will say that some states have taken it into their own hands. Massachusetts, for example, has worked to improve their own laws. Mm-hmm. So it isn't strictly a federal law. States can come together and, and make changes there. In the U.S., guns are actually really predominant. So I was I, I was shocked by this. They did a, a study in 2017, basically a survey, and it's estimated an average of 120.5 guns per hundred residents of the U.S. So that is more, more guns than, than people. Wow. Well, because yeah, there, you have all these people that don't have guns, and then people that collect them or have a full arsenal (laughs) and it's like why do you need seven shotguns and it's it's not just like shootings and in schools too we have six times the gun homicide rate of canada 
seven times more than Sweden and 16 times more than Germany. And Germany gets a bad rap because of the whole Nazi thing. But they're at least doing something, right? I, yeah. I mean, I, I won't disagree with that. It's just kind of mind boggling. And people fight so hard for their guns. And we're not saying take guns away. Right. It's like... Let's not give them to these people who are going to use them in inappropriate ways and not take care of them and not lock them up. Let's actually care about where we're putting these guns. Absolutely. Um, And I was trying to find the name of that bill, but the Senate just voted last week um, to do nationwide background checks. So good. hopefully that becomes law and um, that will at least be a start towards managing this epidemic. And if you or someone you know is struggling with any kind of mental health crisis, you can call 1-800-273-8255 and be connected with someone immediately. Because they're Ross and Ruth. Bro, why don't you just bust a nut on him? He has a dead tooth. Oh, barely, please. Where? I know in his mouth. (laughs) All I've said is bust a nut. Yeah, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to laugh at that. I just watched him do it. Whenever, wherever. Whenever. We're meant to be together. I'll be there and you'll be here. And that's the deal, my dear. (gasps) (gasps) It was. It was a ghost fart. She wants to do cocaine. I do. Off of a dick. (laughs) You've already brought that story into this room? (laughs) That could have been. Wow. Quote of the century. <laughs> Those cheeks are always squeaking. <laughs> I didn't realize it was her. It sounds like it's coming. From I thought it was there. upstairs, and then I realized I don't <laughs> think it is. Those cheeks are always squeaking. <laughs> Carrying a military duffel bag. I'm so sorry. <laughs> It was like a Costco hot dog burp. (laughs) Transition music for a lucrative ad. Those squeaks are always always squeaking. (laughs) I can't get it. I just said those squeaks are always squeaking. (laughs) (laughs) I want t shirts with just a butt. And I can pop my ears. It's gross. Do it into the microphone. (laughs) why things transpired fucking fuck (sighs) who am i emily (gasps) on a first sentence excuse me fuck you we will never know why things transpired the way they did but fuck (laughs) that's been a theme this week for me too Whoa. Murder in the Rain is produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Written and hosted by Emily Rowney and Alicia Holland. Artwork by Jamie Costa. 
Music by Kai Pfeiffer at kyfifer.com. Check out our website, murderintherain.com, for additional information on all cases, a fun interactive map, and be sure to subscribe so you can receive our newsletter. Check out the Mad Props page for coupon codes from some of our sponsors. We love your reviews and seeing them on all streaming platforms, especially iTunes. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And suck my balls. (laughs) Please put that in. (laughs) 